Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, February 16th. Are things getting a little snippy between the mayor and city council? We catch up with Mayor Jyoti Gondek to discuss what's been happening at City Hall this week, including an interesting online exchange that took place on social media between the mayor and one councillor. This week is Teachers' Convention for the CBE. One topic very much being discussed is the role artificial intelligence has in our kids' classrooms. We get some expert insight into how the new tech can be used to enhance the educational experience with scientist and journalist Dan Riskin. And finally, we know him, we love him. He wanders the stands in the saddle home for every Calgary Flames home game, and he's been doing it a long time. We celebrate the birthday of the Flames' top dog, Harvey the Hound, with the canine's creator, Grant Kelba. On your Friday morning, as we do every Friday, we're checking in with Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Find out all the latest from City Hall, the goings-on in our very own city. Good morning, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Sue and Andy. How are you? Ah, great. Thank you so much. Ahead of the nice family day long weekend. I think we're all peel- feeling pretty fine. Um, lots to talk about this morning for sure. Uh, oh boy, where do we begin? Um, how about remote attendance for city councillors? Uh, a little bit of back and forth between you and at least one councillor. Is it time to amend the policy as to how councillors attend or don't attend literal council meetings? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why this policy change was brought forward to us by our ethics advisor. Um, Firstly, when we went into COVID, we very quickly, like pretty much overnight, had to go into remote work situations. And we became reliant on using Teams and eScribe, which is the, the system that we use for voting, to get our council meetings done because we had to carry on working and governing. So the fact that we became very proficient with this is a good thing. The difficult thing is when new council formed, many of those members of council had never actually had that experience of everybody fully being in chambers. And there was an understanding, and it's also in our bylaw, that you can attend remotely. So it became a bit of an issue when the public, as well as our administration, started seeing a lot of empty seats, especially later into meetings. So the bylaw that was before us was intended to make sure that we all made a commitment to show up in person. However, it was also pointed out that accommodations are significant for people who have a disability or an injury or someone who has chosen to take an accommodation for a parental leave instead of the full leave. So it was a good, fulsome conversation. And I think it is a pretty good way to show Calgarians that we are absolutely committed to this job. And if on occasion we need to be remote, we're still there to get our votes in. Uh, Madam Mayor, the discussion surrounding it, uh, I think we all want all of our elected officials to be passionate, to, to kind of have a stance, have some opinions and, and, and stick to them. Uh, but beyond the passion, it did seem to be a little heated. Is there tension right now in City Council? There's always tensions at every order of government and council is no different. And I, I don't think that this particular item was um, overly tense. I think it was just the way that people view what representation means. And once again, I think it was a very fulsome conversation where a lot of really important points came out. And the fact that we now have a policy whereby we are much more um, open in the way that we understand what representation means is actually a good thing for Calgarians. Your thoughts, though, sort of on on that note, uh, you know, about, you know, airing your dirty laundry on social media and and sort of, you know, snarking back and forth at each other because we did see it. And and, uh, is that a good idea? Does that help us feel good about our elected officials? 
I think elected officials need to understand that the way that we conduct ourselves is reflective of what's happening in society. And at the same time, we are held to a higher standard. So I believe that the back and forth shouldn't be happening. But every now and then when someone takes a swipe that's inappropriate, we are human as well. And we say what's on our mind. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about... Well, I got a text in from Darcy who said, Sue and Andy, when you talk to the mayor today, can you confirm, because this has been in the news and uh, discussions and proposals surrounding it, uh, Darcy says, can you confirm where it is okay to park RVs in the city? My neighborhood has many at home all year long. Curious about what now in the current, uh, you know, rules and regulations is actually allowed when it comes to those RVs. It's a really good question from Darcy, and we are in a position right now where committee, <clears throat> excuse me, committee this week um, voted against allowing RVs to be parked on a person's driveway during the summer months, but that item is now coming to council. So the debate could be opened up again at council. And there's people that have positions on, on both sides of this. There are many folks who say, I don't want my neighbor's RV obstructing the driveway. Uh, There's people that say that it's not safe for pedestrians because, you know, the hitch is sticking out. And then there's folks that say, look, this is the most affordable way that many families can vacation. And if we're able to save them some money for not having to put it into storage in the summer months, we should do it. So it will be back at council um, over the next couple of weeks. And we haven't made a firm decision yet. Who keeps an eye on that, Mayor? Because, I mean, I see it too. Darcy said it in his neighborhood. I see it in my neighborhood. People park them there all year round. So who's keeping an eye on that? That's uh, generally neighbors that keep an eye on it, and people can call uh, bylaw and uh, report something that shouldn't be there. I, I, in my street, I've got someone who has an RV parked at the side of their house. So this is happening, um, and we need to figure out what the best way forward is that respects what everybody needs and also looks at saving money for folks that are using this as their vacation instrument. All right. Yeah, breaking news. We've got to you know, uh, ask you about this, Mayor Gondek, and it came in Tony King's newscast. It's that uh, chocolate chip ice cream is no longer number one. <laughs> it's fallen off the list, being replaced by some of the Nouveau flavors like the salted caramels, for example, the cookie doughs. Banana pudding, as Sue mentioned Wrong. as well. Wrong. Uh, your favorite ice cream flavor and why should everybody enjoy this only only this one flavor? It's your chance to, to get on this soapbox and, uh, you know, pay tribute to your favorite ice cream flavor. Well, it's this is the hard-hitting journalism I come for, Andy, exactly. so I appreciate this. And I would say, I don't know if anybody remembers Baskin-Robbins. Yep. Um, they used to have a little shop across from the store I worked in in the mall in Brandon. Yep. And they had chocolate raspberry truffle, which was the what? greatest thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And you can't find it anywhere anymore. So my default becomes chocolate peanut butter, very much like yours, Sue. Yes. Um, but I got to say, mint chocolate chip is a classic. Yeah, true. Fair enough. I think it's it's time to get rid of just the usual, you know, vanilla with chocolate chips. Like, get get, get lost. That's, let's be a little more creative than that. But banana pudding? I mean, come that on. That does sound no. good to me. Yeah. I think that sounds pretty good. Ice Banana pudding ice cream, Andy? Yeah, I will okay. try that. No. no. Uh, friends off. Um, thank you, Mayor. <laughs> uh, really important stuff that we've covered it for seriously and also ice cream. So thank you very much. Have a lovely family day long weekend. We appreciate you joining us. Yeah, happy family day, everyone. Take care. Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Teachers Convention. It's in full swing, and today, artificial intelligence is in full focus. 
Feels like AI is everywhere. And one of the biggest places it could have an impact is, of course, as we've talked about on this program and your kids maybe have talked about, it could impact the classroom, a major amount of impact. Joining us ahead of his presentation to the teachers at the conference is Dan Riskin. Scientist and award-winning TV host. You may remember him as the co-host of Daily Planet on the Discovery Channel. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. This is one of these cases, the, the AI. It's, we're not going to get that genie back in the bottle. Uh, it's going to be here. So how can teachers effectively use AI to enhance learning? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the answer for teachers is a little bit the same as it is for everybody, which is to go towards the light. Uh, and I'm not saying that in a biblical sense. I don't believe that it's going to, um, you know, universally be good and it's going to make everybody's lives better and it's, it's some kind of deity. But it is powerful. And I think that hiding under a rock and kind of pretending you can keep doing what you've been doing without it is completely uh, just totally unrealistic, certainly for teachers whose students know how to use it and are learning how to use it every day. Um, but for everybody, I mean, for radio hosts, for people listening to the radio, for people who are going about their business and, and going to work and trying to figure out how this is going to impact their industry or their family life, um, there are going to be some big changes. And it, it just makes no sense to try to look away. I think it's a great time to embrace it, move towards it, and try to think about ways that you can use it to put yourself in a better position and to improve your life. Mm -hmm. Agree, Dan. So, I mean, what do you do, though, in, in terms of the education system? Uh, plagiarism, right? I mean, that's the one that I think everybody's mind kind of goes to first. Well, I'm just going to get AI to write my essay for me. So how, how do you deal with that? And, and is that something then that teachers will kind of have a voice in, in building something around? Yeah, I think this is a perfect example, and it may, it may be the dominant example that people want to talk about today at the Teachers' Convention. Uh, I expect that talking to teachers, I'm going to learn a lot because they've been on the front line. There isn't a quick answer. There isn't some app you can install, some kind of browser plug-in that says, oh, that was written by ChatGPT. Give your student an F. It's, it's impossible. that You can't. Every time you run those programs, they give you different words, and they're constantly evolving, and there are several of them now. And the idea that you can whack-a-mole your way out of this problem just isn't realistic and so fundamentally i think education needs to figure out how it's going to adapt to this and that's going to come from teachers and that's going to come from parents it's going to come from the students themselves ultimately it's about a conversation about what, what are we all in this room to do we're all trying to learn stuff and the way we've done that in the past is to give you an essay and say go work on it and come back and show me your essay and if i saw a finished essay I knew that you had done the work because there was no other way to make that essay. Now there are other ways to make that essay. So that becomes a shortcut we can't use anymore. So where do we break down the steps? And students need to be, you know, this is a tall ask, but a student who is really trying to learn and become smarter and learn how to do stuff is going to take an approach with AI that could really benefit them in ways they couldn't get ahead of before. And the students looking to cheat, well, that's going to be a bit of an arms race and, and a bigger conversation about why are you here? What are you trying to do? Can we try to get on the same page about our goals for learning? Very interesting. You're spending some time this morning with Dan Riskin, scientist and journalist. He will be presenting at the Alberta Teachers Conference. So when it comes to AI, it's interesting, Dan, because, you know, so often it's focusing on having the teachers teach the children and uh, the, the, the kids, no matter what grade, and, and having success. That's what a conference like this is about. But there's got to be a huge component of learning when it comes to AI for some of these teachers who, again, maybe have not, as you mentioned, moved toward the light. So is, is that a good comp uh, part of it? Is the teachers might not know much about it and it's the myth surrounding AI? Yeah, I think, I mean, teachers are really good at adapting and learning because learning is sort of where, that's their wheelhouse. And so the idea 
that there's some new invention in the classroom and they're going to have to find their way to use it. That is that is something that teachers have done in the past. This, in a lot of ways, is bigger than the other kinds of changes that have happened. But teachers have shown time and time again they can adjust to cell phones in the classroom or students that are using Wikipedia or whatever the changes have been in the past. So I have confidence that teachers are are better placed than just about anybody else because they do think about learning and they do think about personal growth more than a lot of people do. So I'm optimistic, but certainly I, I believe that, you know, the best teaching is mentoring and role modeling. And so if you want to help your students come into a world of AI, it benefits if you're excited about learning about it too and finding ways to use it. And for teachers, AI has all kinds of applications that can make their lives easier. If you're brainstorming lesson plans, if you're brainstorming assignments, if you're trying to come up with a, a, a way to get this, I've got a student who loves Taylor Swift and hates chemistry. How can I work with that? And you can brainstorm with these Chad GPT and other kinds of programs to come up with you know, mnemonics based on Taylor Swift lyrics that can help them learn the periodic table. There are ways that you that ChatGPT can become very helpful to teachers. It can become a great tool for them. It's not an enemy. It's just really powerful. It can do good. It can do bad. But it's definitely going to change things. I guess, is that your message, Dan, when it comes to, you know, talking to parents, particularly who might be hesitant about that and, and educators, too, if they've been in it for a long time, this is going to be a real change in how things are done and how we think about it. So your overall sort of message about AI in the classroom, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, you said it in the beginning. We're not putting this genie back in the bottle. The world is going to be a very different place with this introduced. And it's it's I'm really excited about it. There are I'm going to show an example in my talk of a man who was paralyzed below the, the neck in a motorcycle accident who can now walk with a walker because artificial intelligence can understand his brain signals well enough to send them to his spinal cord through a backpack. Wow. And in, like things like that show that this is so powerful and such good can come from it. The, the medical applications are unbelievable, and it's going to make education better in many ways. But we just aren't going to be able to do things the way we've done them in the past. So I think optimism is warranted. Uh, but I also think that we're not, it's daunting. We're, we're about to climb a big mountain together and it's, mm. it's an exciting hike. But uh, we can't just sit in the parking lot and watch everybody else do the hike because that's just not going to work. Dan, thanks for your time this morning. And I know that all the educators that will be in attendance at the Alberta Teachers Conference, looking forward to, to seeing your presentation. Thanks for your time. Yeah, and I'm thinking of all the parents who are listening as well. I mean, this affects everybody. So uh, yeah. thanks so much for making time to talk to me. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Dan Riskin, scientist and journalist. We know him. We love him. He runs around in the stands at the Saddle Dome for every Calgary Flames home game, and he's been doing it for a very long time. Joining us now is the man who literally created Harvey the Hound and was the man behind the mask for many, many years. Good morning to you, Grant Kelba. Uh, good morning, Sue. Wow. <laughs> Can you believe it? Harvey the Hound, 40 years old today. That's unbelievable. you got to give us a little bit of background, Grant. You know, How did you even kind of come up with this idea? Well, I don't know where the time go, first of all. <laughs> I woke up this morning looking at the ceiling going, I had a whole life in between now and when I uh, created Harvey so many years ago. And actually, Harvey was a game-to-game -game experiment that the Flames allowed me to uh, to undertake 40 years ago and um, at the time I said well I'll take all the risk if it works great I can come back game to game if it doesn't work you can let me go and we can move on with our lives and that was 40 years ago and he's been at every game ever since. 
Well, let's break this down because you, you have this mascot. You, you have focus and laser in on the NHL. How many NHL mascots were there at that point, Grant? Uh, there were none, actually. Uh, I think some of them had tried with uh, promotions and whatnot, but as you can imagine, being a mascot at a NHL game at the time was incredibly difficult. Uh, there's no sideline. There's no where to, to really hide, and the action is fast, and the game is, is uh, really fast, so you don't want to miss anything, so you got to be out of the way. So it, it had its own unique challenges. How did you put the, because uh, from what I understand, you put the costume together, right? You, you built it yourself, didn't you? Well, yeah. Well, with the help of my mother, I had to borrow $1,000 so I could buy the supplies to do it. I was just a, a, a kid at the time. And um, when I got the permission to do it, I then I went, oh, no, now what? So I went to the library. This is all pre-internet. And I got a book on dogs. And I got the dog that I wanted and um, put it, uh, opened it up to the page I wanted. And I started uh, looking for various resources to build a costume because... We didn't have costume builders anywhere around at the time. No, you had to do it yourself. And it's like a, a Halloween costume on steroids because right. this is serious business. <laughs> well, um, you know, his eyes were made out of Easter egg molds. Oh. And the blue balls inside were ping pong balls painted blue. Okay, so that's, that's how it all happened. That's funny. Incredible. And, you know, flash forward to today. Let's talk about, uh, uh, you know, the 2024 version of Harvey the Hound. Uh, how's Harvey doing? And, and what uh, what does, what, what's the biggest difference between the 2024 edition and the 1984 edition? Or 1990? No, 1984 edition. Yeah. This is where I'm with, like, with you, Grant. I can't believe it's been 40 years. Well, yeah, uh, what's the big difference is, is that we manufacture all, manufacture all the costumes here. And I think Harvey is uh, more of a business success story than he is of an entertainment success story because so many uh, teams and organizations contacted me as a result of Harvey way back when that I partnered up with a couple of people and we created a mascot manufacturing company that still goes on today. In fact, there's two mascot manufacturing companies that have produced thousands of hours of, uh, of jobs and millions of dollars of revenue that has been pumped into the city here. Calgary is really the world capital of mascot manufacturing. I'm curious, sort of, you know, we kind of touched on a little bit, but where'd the idea come from? Like, what were you, th- what, what, what went through your head that you went, I'm just going to do this? Well, at the time, I had four years under my belt uh, as Ralph the Dog for the Calgary Stampeders, so I knew I could do it, and I had some success there, which is why the Flames gave me an opportunity to meet with them in the first place. Uh, Why Harvey? Well, you know, I wanted a a dog sled dog, something that would be, um, you know, the link between life and death up north, very Canadiana, part of a team, a very, very good-looking dog, and it had to be a puppy. So I uh, modeled him after a Siberian Husky puppy. Love it. That's awesome. The rest is history, and uh, Flames fans and hockey fans alike know the name Harvey the Hound. Thank you, and don't call him Ralph the Dog because it's a different yeah. dog altogether. And yeah. you should know the name Grant Kalba. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there you go. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for doing all you do, and uh, congrats on 40 years. If you can uh, give uh, Harvey a milk bone for us to celebrate, that'd be great. I'm I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. That is Grant Kalba, the originator and creator of the Calgary Flames mascot, Harvey the Hound. Celebrating 40 years today.